Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Jim, welcome to uh, Resiliency. We're so thankful to have you today as our guest. We've got with us today Dr. Jim Marsh, the head of counseling at Baylor University. And, um, you know, our desire behind this podcast, Jim, as well as those who may be tuning in for the first time, is is that we just want to help cross-cultural workers out on the in the nations to become more and more resilient in the face of life circumstances. So... We know that you've got something to share with us from your area of of expertise and want to hear from you on that in just a minute. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Jim, who you are, and what do you do? Sure. Well, I work at Baylor University, and I'm the executive director of counseling services there. I'm a licensed psychologist, and I have been uh, working in the, the counseling center role for providing mental health services to students at Baylor for a little over 20 years and then probably add in another three, four, five years if you <clears throat> add on my time at the University of Tennessee and different things that I did there. So, yeah, that's what I do, and I certainly enjoy thinking. You know, my, my uh, kind of sweet spot, if you will, is young adults, college students, and uh, something I enjoy thinking about, talking about. So looking forward to today. Yeah, great. Well, I remember having lunch with you one day. You introduced the the idea of lawnmower parenting. I think it was the first time I had heard that 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 phrase used. Mm-hmm. And we were talking a lot about resiliency, which is why I asked you to be on the the podcast today. But what could you tell us a little bit about that conversation as it result as it uh, refers to the reduction of resiliency mm-hmm. in today's young people? <clears throat> Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good question, and it makes me think about a lot of things. <clears throat> and so just to even give a little bit of context, uh, I won't go back this far, but uh, I'll at least make this note that um, the way that we have been thinking about, say, childhood, adolescence, and adulthood has evolved, as you would imagine, over time. <clears throat> so if you were to go back to the early you know, 1900s, the idea of even adolescence didn't exist, right? You went from childhood to adulthood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. And so I think it was a, a publication, and I think it was 1904 where the term adolescence was even introduced. And so you begin to see this shift, you know, to where there's this period of adolescence. And then part of what happened is adolescence sort of moved into adulthood and you got extended to where. You know, it used to be that adulthood, you know, adolescence ended, you know, sort of roughly around 18, and that's when adulthood was considered to start. But now we have adolescence that's (laughs) moved well into our 20s, right? But this newest thing is that, so childhood is expanding into adolescence, right? This idea that 
when we expect, you know, the, the, some of these markers of when we expect people to do things is getting later and later and later. So going back to the parenting piece, the parenting piece has a lot to do with it. <clears throat> and so you have sort of the last two generations that we're really thinking about, right, the millennial generation, which has basically, you know, the students in that generation have kind of ended, right? And so the, the parents were called helicopter parents or umbrella parents. So it was this kind of hovering <clears throat> mentality, right? They could come in if they needed to. They were always there kind of watching. But if you take the next group, which some people have called iGen or Generation Z, the, the, the parenting has shifted. So the parenting has shifted to where they're not just kind of hovering and watching, right? They've actually moved on to the ground, and the, that term lawnmower parents is that they are, they make the way, they clear the path, you know, as opposed to a student wrestling or struggling or having to figure things out, right? It's like, we're, we're not going to have any of that, right? We're going to mm. kind of make a way. And so there are some, <clears throat> some reasons for that, that some factors <clears throat> to think about. So one of those is, you know, this <clears throat> excuse me, this generation in particular, you know, their parents, if you will. Uh, so it's, a, it's an overall generation that's been marked by a few things, right? We have 9-11, we have uh, this kind of homeland security, we have this pretty significant recession in 2008. And so it's this idea that sort of even being at home is not safe, the homeland's not safe. So uh, you have a group of Gen X parents. I'm a Gen X parent, and <clears throat> uh, it's a group of parents who have been hit the hardest of any generation financially, but still are investing at incredibly high levels in their kids' education. Uh, it's a generation of parents who've had uh, kids at a later age. Mm -hmm. They tend to be older, and as a result, they tend to have fewer children. Right, they only they're only having you know one or two kids. It's just on an average they tend to have smaller families, and they tend to be older, so they tend to be more protective. And so, parents have been the, the and we're talking about a general trend, not everyone, but in general they've they've been more hands on, right? Literally hands on, and they've kept their kids at home more, mm -hmm. right? And so <clears throat> they've just been very 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 protective in that way. And what that's produced is you have a generation that, uh, you know, there's these traditional markers of independence, right? So we tend to think of things like um, uh, age when you, you get a driver's license. Mm -hmm. That might be one of them, right? Well, the current generation is getting their driver's license at a much later age than previous generations. Yeah, that's I've an example. That. Mm -hmm. Another example is is the the uh, percent, if you will, of students who have had jobs before they go to college. That number is way down. Mm -hmm. They they don't they haven't been employed, right? <clears throat> uh, you also have a generation who, by surveys and all these things they do, um, spend more time hanging out with their parents than they do with their friends. Right? So you have some of these, these different types of factors, and what's happening is they're just 
as a whole, they're just growing up much more slowly. Now, there's good things about that too, right? It's also a generation that's um, less likely to drink alcohol, mm-hmm. smoke, use drugs, mm-hmm. engage in sex, not because they think it's morally wrong. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not safe. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why. Okay. So <clears throat> so it's a generation that's just growing up, uh, up much more slowly, and because they don't, you know, because they don't have life experience, right? They they have a hard time determining the difference between risk and inevitability. Mm. They they just yeah. don't have the life experience to determine those two things, right? You know, if you haven't worked and you haven't had a job and you haven't done some of these other things, and you just don't know how to do it, right? So everything that so every time there's any risk, it feels. Like it's going to happen, it's inevitable. So it's a generation that's really susceptible. They're they're a lot more sensitive. Sensitive. It's kind of our cultural gloom and doom messages that are out there, right? And plus, they've got so much access to you know smartphones and the internet, and they're seeing so much information. That's the mix, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the mix uh, that starts to produce. Uh, there's an author. Uh, <clears throat> her name is Jean Twingy. And she writes a book called uh, iGen. And she looks at all these generational markers and she compares these two generations. And she says, by all these markers, you know, an 18-year-old Gen Z, right, which would be your sort of current high school student or maybe kind of our first wave of college students, um, uh, an 18-year-old Gen Z, uh, Gen Z is the equivalent of a 15-year-old millennial. Hmm. They're running about three years behind wow. the previous generation on hmm. these kind of points of maturity. And so, from a, from a resilience standpoint, <clears throat> what is this? How does this work out? You know, when they face problems, I mean, what do they do? Right? They they go to the adult to figure it out, solve it for them, solve it, mm-hmm. right? To go fix it. And they're, you know, parents, that's what most parents have been doing. So mm. I've been fixing it for them. Mm. So with that last statement you just made, Jim, what's what's the prevailing counsel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, uh, a study, and I'll kind of loop this back around. The APA did a study, and it said something like 90% of Gen Z says they feel stressed out, right? And it's... The reasons are loneliness, they don't have a solid friendship network, it's all online, right? Uh, But one of the other things that they said um, was that students, well, the the third one is that um, there's a lot of comparison going on, right? So they get a lot of negative message. But the other one is is that the definition of success has become very narrow. Mm. You know, what what success means has has become this very, very narrow definition of what success is and the likelihood of achieving it's pretty pretty low. So so what are some of the things that <clears throat> that I do in a counseling perspective? But one is I was just thinking even this past week, some things I've done um, is helping to redefine what success 
is and trying to get away, trying to really broaden that definition or try to completely reframe it all together, right? Um, mm, yeah. So that's a, been a piece of it. I think the other thing, I, just, I we, we talk about counseling as being reparenting. That's a word we use, right? Mm. Sometimes you're reparenting, and it's... So there's a lot of times where I resist the pull to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's a natural... If that's what's been going on, it's natural. I'm going you know, to come see Silas, and you're an authority figure. You're the adult. You're going to tell me, right, what to do. So I naturally try to resist that and try to foster some of their ability to think through problems, weigh the pros and cons. You know, every decision, you know, there's a, there's a pro and con. If you got two decisions, there's a pro and con of one side and a pro and con of the other side, right? It's all that kind of thing is helping them weigh it out and make the best decision they can mm-hmm. and kind of resist the pull to sort of tell them what to do. Um, I think one of the other things, too, with this generation, and I was just at a, I was just over at Baylor, I was at a series on this where they've, they've started a number of conversations about um, what they call civil discourse. So this generation is, one of the stats is <clears throat> 40% support the government restricting speech that makes them uncomfortable or they find offensive in some way, right? And so we've, there's something that's been lost there in our ability to have a dialogue Mm -hmm. with somebody that we might disagree with. Right. So, and they, they, they want this safety around they want intellectual safety, social safety, physical safety, right? And in fact, one of the stat, stats was 86% of co- college students believe that administration should provide a safe intellectual space, a safe social space, a safe physical space. Safety's just the big thing. It's the buzzword. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's, again, going back to those other things of why these other markers like alcohol, those they're doing those at a later age, which is good, but yeah. it's about... Here. Safety, yeah, yeah. What's going to happen yeah. to me? The inevitable. So, you know, part of this is uh, it's a generation that's that's fairly risk averse, but life has some risk to it, sure. right? And so, part of that is trying to help them take some risks intellectually. I mean, listen to another position or listen to another argument. Um, you know, I think that's really important. I mean, I think it's, I'll kind of put this in the co- a very specific context of, I think our, what I'm expecting is going to be the population here of Christian, Christian families and raising Christian, you know, teenagers and young adults. <clears throat> so there's the shift, right? I think it was a 19, early 1980s, something like 90, 90% of high school seniors stated that they identified with a specific religion. Right. Seems reasonable. I think that's about whenever I was in high school, right? Or I was a senior somewhere in the 80s. 2016, that number's dropped to 66% who said that. So you've got like a third drop, you know, when it comes to religious identity. So the reason I bring that up is I think that we, you know, even in that domain, when it comes to religious identity or perspective, um, I think it's important that, especially our, our 
you know, even my kids, right, that they know what they believe and why they believe it. I mean, there has to be this ability to engage in a religiously diverse, call it pluralistic, world Mm -hmm. that we live in. You know, I mean, I think that's really important because what happens is, and that, but that that's difference, right? You've got to hear different opinions, and you've got to help your kids think through. In other words, just kind of hiding them from that, which is happening a lot in our society. And kind of, I'm not going to listen to any thought or have a dialogue with someone who disagrees with me. All that produces that at some later point they're going to encounter that, and then they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to handle it. Right? It comes the deer in the headlight, which means yeah. the deer gets hit right. by a car. Right. Yeah. So. My own approach is, you know, I, you know, hey, there are different thoughts, different opinions. I'd rather, so I'd rather talk about them now <laughs> while you're in my house versus right. when you're off in college and then you don't know how to respond. You don't know why you believe what you believe. And you're going to meet other people who are going to be very passionate about what they believe, right? Absolutely. And then you're going to be like, well, they feel pretty strongly about that. <clears throat> Sometimes it doesn't feel safe. You come up right. against someone that's impassioned. Yeah. If you're looking for safety, and safety looks like tranquility without a right. rocking boat. So part of that is maybe redefining what safety is, and that maybe maybe what they think of as safety isn't really that safe. Mm. Right? Maybe it isn't that safe to avoid all these other things. Maybe that's kind of dangerous at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. After all, so of course we're always <clears throat> relating these things to field workers, but the the same population of people that you work with, within a few years, are becoming our our next field mm-hmm. workers. Mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. same things that you see, we see kind of a little bit, <clears throat> just a little bit later. Obviously, most people who are going to do cross cultural work are going to be faced with some adversity. Mm-hmm. So everything that you are talking about has a lot of implications on on what we do yeah. and caring for our, our field workers. Mm-hmm. And just parenting. We've got well over 100, 140, 150 just kids on the field, you know, right. from newborns to ones who are in their senior year of high school. So, you know, it's a great, it's a great coaching time right now for mm-hmm. our listeners, and that's just our org and people from other orgs are, we hope, tuning into resiliency yep. and just, you know, hearing <clears throat> the wisdom of, uh, hey, lawnmower parenting doesn't, doesn't right. help your child. You yeah. know. Let them let them you know hit a few walls. Be there for them, but but uh, you know. Right. But don't absolutely shelter them and 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 protect them from every possible skin knee or you know right. or even interaction with people who are who are not of the same you know mindset and, and yeah. belief. But. Yeah, I'm a big believer. You know, personally, I mean, so for me, I, I know this right. So I know these things. So I'm, I'm actively pushing against it all the time, right? So you know, I think about for my own kids, right? It's you know, I I, I want you to you know, particularly when they want to avoid something, <laughs> that's usually a good reason. Well, I'm not sure we're going to avoid it. <laughs> we're going to, you know, it's like I'm always listening for that, or you know, trying to any of those hints of this kind of cultural safety thing, right? I'm always listening for that, but. Certainly, working or you know, uh, you know, having a job, any kind of having responsibility, you know, um, managing finances, you know, I'm trying to do that as much as I possibly can. You know, 
I'm here for, for them if they if things don't go great, but I'm certainly not going to rush in. You know, my, my goal, particularly for my youngest one right now, my so he's a junior, so the goal is that you know, when he leaves for college, he's running the show in a sense, like he's taking care of everything. So it's just been, you know, even now, you know, financially of a bank account and a debit card and you've got to keep it and manage it all, right? You'll get, mm-hmm. I'll give you X amount of gas money or anything. You know, it's all, it's just all that kind of stuff where I can give him these bits and pieces of responsibility, yeah. you know, and let him manage it and figure it out is... The game plan, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and the more we can do that, I think, you know, the better. You referred to basically the information age in which we live, the accessibility of news, and we're just we can be inundated with it easily, twenty four seven. Jim, just what's your kind of conventional wisdom, especially as you see kids? I don't know. Do you find is there a direct correlation at times when you find kids that are really dealing with a lot of anxiety issues and as you start to kind of explore and let me ask you this and what about this and, you know, how are you spending your time? Kids, you know, I find, I'm finding that I've had a number of people say to me lately, maybe I'm just watching and listening to a little bit too much news. Well, I would love for them all to unplug. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good luck, right? Yeah. I right. mean, it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, I... Uh, we, uh, I used to teach um, in the honors college, and we would teach freshmen, and it was like an intro to college life course, and we looked at these different dimensions, intellectual, social, et cetera. But one of the challenges or assignments was to go eight hours without checking your phone. Hmm. About the hardest. It was really difficult. So I'm going to, th- when you think about the news, I'm going to think about the phone more broadly, right? You know, so a piece of all that, not just the news, but is the social media. Yeah. And the comparison that goes with it, that's the part. So um, there's been some interesting stuff written about um, things like uh, likes and you know, hits on a Facebook post and all of that being, you know, it's kind of equivalent to a, a drug, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, I, you know I, I remember there was one author I read that, and this may have been a little over the top, right? But he... <laughs> He basically said, you know, giving an iPhone to like a, a you know, certainly a, a middle schooler or a young teenager is like you might as well just open open up the liquor cabinet. Is what he mm-hmm. what he said, mm-hmm. right? Because it has that such capacity for a, a, this kind of addictive quality to it. But mm. but I would say yes. I think there's part of it's the news. There is um, again, there it's a group that's highly sensitive because they haven't they don't know how to tell the difference. So they are sensitive to all the negative messages that are out there. Uh, and particularly, there is a, a bit of a difference between, uh, you know, boys and girls. Uh, girls in particular uh, seem to be more susceptible to the social media piece yeah. and the mental health effects mm. that come with it, right? You know, the thing about the information is sort of interesting, too, because <clears throat> it's a group that has incredible uh, access to information, Right. And so, how does this translate? How is this translated to the academic world? It's a group who just wants the information. I mean, they can get all the information they want, but they just want the information. And so, there's they're missing out on some of the critical thinking skills. It's like, give me the information so I can. I just want to know what needs to be on the exam, as opposed to thinking about it. 
Mm-hmm. And so this other safety thing shows up in the classroom to where at least, you know, some of the authors, there's, you know, they, why are we having discussion, right? Where is this going to be on the exam? You know, it's that <laughs> I don't want to do this dialogue piece, and I certainly don't want to raise my hand and answer a question because I could be wrong. Mm. But they're sort of missing the point, right? The the point is the dialogue. It's not the rightness or wrongness. Right. It's this engaging with other people and ideas. So they, But they don't typically don't like to do it. Losing the, art, losing the art of conversation yeah, and dialogue. It's Yeah, there's some that would say that we're, we're losing some of that. So, yeah, critical thinking. Yes. Yeah. yeah. With uh, even just how people want to take in news, just tell me what I need to know. Right. I don't have to critically think about the source well, or the... And we all know that, I mean, any one of us can go right now to a news source that we know is probably going to agree or give us what we want to mm-hmm. hear. And that feels safe. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, listening to another view that might disagree. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a supporter, believer, and, yeah, let's have different opinions. You know, I may not agree with everyone, but so I'm on the side of, yeah, if we want to bring different people to a campus who have different views, let's do it. So I think what we need to do is I think we need to be raising the gen- kid, our kids to be able to, certainly our kids to be able to think at, thoughtfully about topics from a kingdom perspective, right? I mean, that's the lens that we need to have, which is why I love uh, Drew's book, Drew Stemmons' book. I finished reading that a few weeks ago on the gospel according to culture, yeah. and I think he nails that pretty well, right? These two philosophies, the cultural Christianity and the humanism, and neither one of those are the gospel. Right. Right. There's this third way, the kingdom perspective, that's really the gospel. Well, Jim, as we begin to wind up our time, we've talked about sort of why resiliency is on the decrease in general in society. What, what What is a thing or two that you would say to people, hey, what are just a couple of things that, that you would say, if I, you know, if I'm telling Bryson and Ethan, my sons, you know, uh, yeah. to try to get them to build a little right. bit more resiliency, what's a point or two that you would say, I would, I'd go for this right here? Yeah. So I've got one thing on my mind that I'll just say it and try to get it out, you know, that I think relates to this. And it's, um, I think one of the challenges that this generation faces is, as I heard someone say that, uh, if I can get this right, in a, I guess they called it in a post-Christian world, you get all the shame and no atonement, mm. right? Yeah. Mm. That, that's part mm. of the resilience. So we, we're kind of in this world where where's the atonement, right? Where's the forgiveness, mm. right? We're going to give you all the bad stuff this world has to offer, but without Christ in it, there's no, you're just stuck with it. Yeah. So that's one thing, you know, I mean, I think that one of the messages to my kids is uh, honestly and seriously, not just some kind of pat message. It truly is. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There is atonement. At the end of the day, and I say this over and over, your identity you know, is in Christ. It's in God. It's who he's made you to be. It's none of these performance markers. Yes. It is what it is, right? 
you know, your grades or sports, whatever it is, you do those things, there's valuable lessons, but who you are is not defined by that. And I preach that all the time. I mm. come back to that over and over and over again. So that would be one. Um, I think the other is, I kind of said it before, is um, I, th- I really believe in giving responsibility and um, whether that be job or whatever that might be, but giving people responsibility, I give them ownership, and I let them take ownership of it, right? And um, because one of the things that happens when you're an adult, I tell college students all this all the time, I would say you're an adult now. You have a right to all the benefits as well as the consequences mm. of your behavior, <laughs> right? Yeah. When you do things great, you get great benefits. If you mess up, you get all the consequences. Until that point, right, some of that's mitigated, right? We can, you know, until they're 18, a little bit, some of that can be mitigated. So I can mitigate some of the consequences, you know, and, and but those are valuable learning lessons, Yeah. you know. Um, so I think responsibility, ownership, you know, whatever it might be. Is something I believe in as well. Jim, thanks so much for being a part of this with us. Sure. Glad there's to do it. Much There's likely a, a chance we might call on you again. Okay. Yeah. Um, but as we wrap up, we'd love to, for you to pray yeah, a prayer sure. of impartation and blessing onto our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to do it. <clears throat> so, Lord, I do um, just pray for everyone who hears this podcast that, um, Lord, they would just know grace and atonement and forgiveness. Yes. Uh, certainly all of us as parents uh, who are trying to do our best, um, uh, just pray that there would be a, a freedom there and a, a sense of hope and a sense of your grace that we present um, as we're all trying to raise kids uh, and raise kids that are going to uh, honor and glorify honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <clears throat> Thank Thanks you, again, Jim. Yeah, that was fun. Well, friends, that's it for this week's episode. You've been listening to Resiliency. This episode has been produced by me, Silas West, with help from my co-host, Steve Finley. We are so grateful for the generosity of our guests for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you. We also want to give a big shout-out to the band Honest Men, who wrote and performed the music in our intro and outro. Special thanks for the voice talent of Sarah Neely, who introduced us at the beginning of the episode. If you liked what you heard, encourage your friends to subscribe and tune in in two weeks from now for the next episode of Resiliency. Resiliency.